sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Hello, my name's Conor O'Hagan and I'm a bit of a bird watcher. I'm talking to Niall Hatch and I wanted to talk about a particular subject, Niall. I want you to lead you down a path which has no discernible beginning and hopefully no discernible end either, and that is evolution. I think at this stage, most or all of us are familiar with the uh, the concept that birds are essentially descended from reptiles. But is that the unanimous view of science? Are there any uh, disagreements on, on the derivation of birds from the dinosaurs? Well, it, it is the generally accepted consensus now. It's taken a long time for science to really hone in on that view and to, 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 to formalise it fully but that is the generally accepted view now I mean you'll always get people out there who, who disagree with the whole idea of evolution to begin with uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in it myself and I think it's it's, it's very much supported uh, but when it comes to birds yeah, the, the orthodox view now is that uh, not alone are birds descended from dinosaurs birds really are dinosaurs there's no difference really between birds and dinosaurs What do you mean by that? That, um, that birds essentially ha- there is a continuous line of evolution from uh, from dinosaurs to birds is that what that w- is implied in the idea that birds are actually dinosaurs uh, very much so, yes. And it's a process, obviously, that doesn't happen overnight or didn't happen overnight. It happened over tens of millions of years. Uh, and what happens is when look now, with as more of the fossil record becomes available and people have, have noticed, particularly in some fossil deposits in China, that quite a lot of dinosaurs that otherwise look perfectly normal, like other reptiles that we would consider to be, had feathers. And that's very, very clear that feathers started with dinosaurs. It's even believed now that uh, famous dinosaurs like Tyrannosaurus rex may well have been feathered. Obviously, not capable of flight and didn't use the wings or anything like that but the feathers came long before flight did uh, at least for for birds it's very interesting you should say that because i was going to uh, query you with this that um, i had read somewhere i believe that uh, the particular branch of dinosaurs that birds are believed to have evolved from they, they are the dinosaurs which included tyrannosaurus rex now tyrannosaurus rex famously is the big fierce you know a large-scale creature who bears um, no resemblance that anybody can think of, I'm sure, to any uh, bird uh, present or past. Uh, You certainly can't imagine one flying. But a more recent revelation about Tyrannosaurus is that it had feathers. So there's the start of a linkage there. And obviously, as you said, it wasn't it didn't happen overnight. Uh, A Tyrannosaurus didn't lay an egg which contained a bird. It happened uh, gradually. But what what sort of timescales are we talking about then, Niall? I mean, obviously the age of the dinosaurs uh, was long. Uh, I don't actually know uh, enough to, to have any clear idea of what stage during the age of the dinosaurs uh, Tyrannosaurus was uh, around and how long, how much time there is or is thought to be between Tyrannosaurus and the first bird-like dinosaurs. Can you, do you have any insights on that? 
Well, it's still very much in flux because obviously only a tiny part of the evolutionary history is revealed through the fossil record. The chance of a, of a creature actually dying in just the right spot and in the perfect conditions to be preserved with a fossil, they're almost infinitesimally small chances. So we're only seeing a little tiny part of the overall jigsaw puzzle. However, we do know that there were what we would consider flying birds around at the time of Tyrannosaurus rex. It's generally considered that dinosaurs as we would generally know them in popular culture became extinct about 65 million years ago. Most likely as the result of a huge meteor crash into what's now the Gulf of Mexico that would have changed the whole world's climate for a long time. It would have affected the growth of plants, which would have caused huge problems for the large carnivorous, or sorry, the large herbivorous dinosaurs. And of course, as they died out, the large carnivorous dinosaurs that preyed on them also suffered as well. But of course, what we think of as dinosaurs generally, or when I say the word dinosaur, what people conjure up are these enormous creatures with big long necks and big sharp teeth. Uh, you know, they were huge. And of course, they're the ones that are most likely to have left remains, uh, preserved bones and so on. But of course, there are lots of other dinosaurs that were the size of chickens or even the size of sparrows that ran around on the ground and behaved very much like little birds, other than the fact that they were unable to fly. Uh, and it's those that survived, it seems, and became the birds that we know today. In fact, there seems to have been several lineages of, of dino, dino birds, let's call them, many of which led to a dead end. It's really only one that was successful. Now, it hasn't been fully pieced together what that was. But we do know that some of the, the, the basic divisions of the modern birds um, would have happened at the time when, when the dinosaurs, like Tyrannosaurus rex, were still on the planet. So the big split, I suppose, if you look at the birds, the ones we call the ratites, without getting too technical, they are generally the large flightless birds that people know today. The, the ostriches, emus, cassowaries, rheas, kiwis as well, not very big, but still part of the same group. Uh, and also a group of birds from, from uh, Latin America, called the tinamous, most of which can fly, um, but still have the same sort of structure as those other birds. They, they lack a keel bone, a breast bone. Uh, so they don't have that big anchoring point for the flight muscles. So they were one of, and, the, and if you look at it, something like a, an ostrich, uh, it, it's actually quite reptilian and almost quite dinosaur-like. I think that that gives us a very good idea of how many of the dinosaurs uh, would have moved, especially the ones that walked on two legs. Uh, then Shortly after that, when I say shortly, obviously there's millions of years here, but you know, in an evolutionary blink of an eye, we had a different split then for the birds that we know today, mainly as, uh, let's call them the, the, the chickens and the ducks. So the ducks and their allies, like geese and swans, and then the chickens and their allies, essentially pheasants, grouse, partridges, birds like that. They're quite an ancient lineage as well, and they split away from the other birds quite early on. And then the third group is more or less everything else that we know today. All the different songbirds, as well as the pigeons, the owls, the birds of prey, and many, many more. They're in that separate group. So they're the three main divisions of, of modern birds, but there were many more that were ultimately evolutionary dead ends. There were lots of water birds you know, that their ancestors had evolved flight and then had de-evolved it and, or unevolved it, I suppose, to use their wings as paddles in the water, very much like penguins do today. So that's, that's certainly reflected in the fossil record. So that, that is interesting because what you've just told us in effect is that if you take two birds that we know well, the blackbird, say, which I believe is what you'd call a passerine, and uh, an ostrich, which clearly isn't. Uh, the closest thing they would have to a common ancestor would be a dinosaur, i.e. they came down to, although they're both descended from dinosaurs, they came down different routes. So it's not a case of birds evolved and then uh, birds, as we more or less know them today, evolved and then branched out into ostriches or songbirds. 
that happened a long time before. It did. And as far as we can tell, they did have a common ancestor. And it, didn't, it would have been around that period as whether, whether you define whether it's a dinosaur or a bird is really down to semantics. Because as I'll say in a minute, it's actually quite hard to define where one ends and the other begins. Uh, but that, that split happened a very long time ago. So they would have had a, a common ancestor. Uh, but that was a very, very long time ago. And we probably wouldn't have recognised it perhaps as being a bird in the modern sense. If you look at what birds are like today, they, they, you know, birds come in a wide variety of, of sizes and shapes and different forms, but they all have certain things in common. Uh, one thing is that they lay eggs. All birds lay eggs. None of them give birth to live young. Uh, that is the case with the dinosaur group that they evolved from as well. Uh, all birds as well today have uh, a beak uh, and are lacking a bony jaw. So they don't have any teeth. However, early birds did have teeth. And if you look at something like probably the most famous bird of all time and the most one of the most famous fossils, Archaeopteryx, ancient wing. Uh, that means it was one of the earliest known birds. Uh, and uh, we know at that stage this bird looked probably about the same size and shape as a magpie. We don't know what colour it was, but it had sort of a long tail. But that tail had a bone in it, with a long bony tail like a, like a lizard, which birds don't have today. But it was fully feathered. It had what we recognise today as flight feathers on its outstretched arms. It looked very much like a modern bird's wing and it would have been capable to at least some degree of flight. Um, but also it had a very much a reptilian jaw with a heavy jaw with teeth. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say that the, the penalty you pay for having for having a jaw and, 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 and certain other more kind of reptilian and also mammalian characteristics is weight is it not i mean it's it's that it's a difficult the difficulty is reconciling the ability to fly with these kind of as it were legacy uh, physiologies it is so it, it's it's weight in, in a strict sense but also it's the center of gravity so if you have this heavy jaw full of teeth right in the front of your of your, your of your body including your head and your neck if you're flying that's not terribly efficient because your center of gravity is very far forward so if birds uh, evolve just to have a lightweight beak and birds beaks are made of bone but they're covered in a substance called keratin it's the same stuff that our hair and our nails are made of and a bird's beak feels very much like one of our fing- fingernails that's what it feels like it grows constantly um, it's much more lightweight and so that meant that the birds were able to, to fly or indeed swim more efficiently. However, there's a trade-off with that because if you're lacking teeth, how do you chew your food? And what birds have evolved instead is a special organ called the gizzard. Uh, and uh, virtually all birds have this, a couple of exceptions, but, but birds, mo- virtually all birds have this. It's a special organ inside their bodies which birds fill with grit or with small stones. So birds swallow stones and what they do is they hold these in this special pouch inside their body. And as they swallow food whole or in chunks, it passes into the gizzard and is ground up by the muscular walls, sort of agitating these stones and grinding them. Uh, and then the bird uh, you know, passes through the rest of the digestive system. So it's almost like they have these false teeth, let's call them, but inside their body. And there's a weight to those, but it's in the center of their body. So it's much more efficient for flying. The center of gravity is much better. Anyone who's kept a cage bird knows that you yeah. need to provide cage birds with grits in, in order to be able to form the first stage of digestion. Yes, absolutely. And it, you know, it's also uh, very telling as well that birds' digestive systems have evolved in certain ways. So we have, um, for example, there's very few birds that, that, that eat to any meaningful degree large amounts of leaves, uh, for example, which is something that, again, they would get from their carnivorous dinosaur ancestors because they came from the carnivorous dinosaurs, the, the ones like Tyrannosaurus rex. Tyrannosaurus rex wasn't a direct ancestor of our modern birds, but they had a common ancestor with Tyrannosaurus rex. And these were the meat-eating birds, or meat-eating dinosaurs. So, um, so herbivory has re-evolved in many of these birds. If you look at sparrows that eat seeds and, you know, some birds like blue tits are omnivorous. They'll eat seeds and peanuts. They also eat caterpillars and so on. But there's one bird called the hoatzin, 
which uh, is a really strange bird. Um, it's from, from South America. And uh, I'll tell you a bit more about it in a moment of why it's so weird. But one of the things it does is it mainly really only eats leaves. And it's pretty much unique in the bird world for doing that. And it has uh, developed or evolved a special multi-chambered stomach, a bit like that of a cow, to help it to digest those leaves. The weird thing about the Hoatzin as well, it tells us quite a bit about um, bird evolution because when the Hoatzins are young as chicks, they still have hands on their wings. They have small little claws at the bend of the wing. Um, it kind of looks a bit like, uh, you might think, the elbow of the bird. In fact, it's its wrist. But they have their thumb sticking out, little claws there. And they can use that to climb up trees. And they're the only modern bird that still has those. And the adults don't have it, just the chicks. But yeah, all but, birds... Oh, but, yeah. Sorry, a question. To, sorry to cut across yeah. you, Noel. Uh, a question that comes up in my mind is, okay, uh, these, these birds as chicks have uh, claws... Um, I think they're kind of they're kind of mid-wing, aren't they? The they are. That they That's have. right. They're, yeah, on the on the on on the uh, the front surface of the wing. But are we are we sure that those are uh, a legacy of the of a, uh, a reptilian past, or are they something that evolved after they had branched off as birds? I mean, I, I can understand that the record may not be complete and may not tell us that, but um, it's, a, it's a question nonetheless. Well, what, what we do know is that the vast majority of modern birds still have those. It's just they're covered by feathers and are very little use. So we actually see within the wing of some birds, there are still rudimentary little claws, little little fingernails underneath. They have served no purpose, but evolution hasn't got rid of them. They haven't been a disadvantage either, so that there has been no selective pressure to remove it. Evolution comes down to selective pressure. And if something isn't either an advantage or disadvantage, it continue to carry on uh, we know as well that birds do all have thumbs still they have little feathers that you, they can actually use them to control them by raising their thumb bones they can actually streamline the shape of their wing it can really help with the way that they fly it's called an alula or a bastard wing is the name for it tiny little additional sort of wing tuft they have that's controlled using their thumbs and indeed they still have their fingers the digits are still there it's just they're fused in many ways but they're also what support their flight feathers so they're all inside the wings so they do still have figures fingers in some birds like a chicken people be familiar with chicken wings people people eat them for example they still have their fingers at the very tips of those it's just they serve no particular purpose for other birds like uh, let's say the albatross or something like that that has really really long wings that actually still has quite long fingers under there that support its feathers and that's the the the, the, this, the musculature that controls those fingers is still there and that's how they move their wings so we, we can tell for certain that uh, birds wings evolved from arms that uh, if you think of tyrannosaurus rex arms very like that now what about warm-bloodedness Nile, I and mean, that seems to me to be a bit of a, a bit of a an awkward point when you're talking about descent from reptiles. Well, if you look at modern reptiles today, the ones that we we think of that they are uh, they they are cold blooded. If you think of snakes, you think of crocodiles and so on turtles tortoises they are indeed cold-blooded in fact the majority of fish are cold-blooded as well there are a few warm-blooded sharks and so on but uh, most of them are cold-blooded and reptiles came from fish of course uh, as did amphibians um, but what we know is that um, many of these dinosaurs perhaps all of them they were also warm-blooded tyrannosaurus rex was warm-blooded we know that those dinosaurs made nests and incubated their eggs uh, we know that because fossils have been found perhaps after something like a volcanic eruption where they were caught and they were, they were covered in ash and immediately killed. We have uh, fossil records of adult dinosaurs sitting on eggs in a nest, keeping them warm. Which no, implies warm-bloodedness, yes. Which implies warm-bloodedness, exactly, because otherwise there's no need for them to sit on there's top no of their point. nest. Yeah, yes, modern reptiles yes. don't do that at all. And of course, 
that's one of the things that would that feathers show us as well feathers didn't evolve for flight uh, it seems they probably evolved for uh, for temperature regulation especially for insulation mm-hmm. uh, and if so it, what, what happens is feathers if you think of them like a big duvet going around wrapped in a duvet all day long keeping yourself nice and warm that only works if the heat source internally keeping you warm uh, so uh, you know when you're when you're wrapped up warm in bed at night it's your body heat that warms up the air the duvet keeps it in and stops the outside air getting in feathers wouldn't work for insulation if there wasn't some sort of heat source inside keeping them going so we're pretty certain that those dinosaurs were indeed warm-blooded and that's another idea or another good example or indication of how birds came directly from those warm-blooded dinosaurs it's also a fascinating example of of, of how our knowledge uh, can grow in incredibly indirect ways i.e the chances of discovering um you know from the foss from directly from the fossil record that a that a, a tyrannosaur was um, warm-blooded Oh, would be pretty minimal. I can't actually think how that would be, how that would be done. But discovering that they had feathers is possible from the from the fossil record, and then deducing from that that because they had feathers, which have no points unless you're warm-blooded, um, that's how you discover that tyrannosaurs were warm-blooded. Yes, feathers really are miracles of evolution. They're essentially uh, modified reptile scales that have become highly specialised. But actually, there's many different types of feathers that perform different functions. Today, only birds have feathers. It's the one defining characteristic of a bird. So uh, I often go to schools and talk to children about what makes a bird a bird? And they would say, well, because it lays eggs. But I say, well, so do turtles, so do flies, so do spiders. Mm-hmm. Lots of things lay eggs. Uh, so they say, well, it has a beak. Well, so does a duck-billed platypus, so does a squid. Uh, all of these things have beaks as well. It can fly. Well, so can a dragonfly. So can a butterfly. Uh, the only defining characteristic today is it has feathers. Yes, if something has feathers, it is a bird. Uh, but the same was true of dinosaurs. And so that, that's what happened was over millions and millions of years, these scales on the body they became frayed and then developed, it seems like, hair-like plumes. Uh, and then what happened was, again, some of these plumes, just through quirks of evolution, developed barbules that locked them together and made this amazingly lightweight, yet wonderfully waterproof and well-insulating cover for these birds. And then down feathers developed under these. And so it really is amazing how this happened. Again, it happens over millions and millions of years, but it's amazing what happened. Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, make sure to select seat-only reservation free travel scheme and pay just €2 per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance. Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. So what we think now, based on the evidence, is that dinosaurs started developing these feathers and it was a means of insulation. 
much better for them to regulate their temperature and survive in cold climates, which meant they could they could then survive in 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 all sorts of other parts, other habitats, other, and, and adapt to climate change and so on. Because climate change has always been around us, and we humans are causing it at a very rapid rate at the moment. But it's something that's been a pattern throughout the, the history of the Earth. Yes. The other thing about feathers, of course, is insulation works both ways. Uh, in cold climates, it, it stops it, it stops you, or sorry, in very warm climates, having feathers stops you overheating because it stops the heat getting in as well. So that may be a part of it too. Now, what we know is looking at some of the fossil remains of these dinosaurs that have been discovered recently, they're able to analyse the microstructures in the surfaces of those feathers. They have been preserved. Uh, and what we can tell from that is that those feathers were coloured. Uh, so we might have to totally rethink what all the children's books about dinosaurs look like. I remember as a kid looking at the books and seeing all the pictures. The dinosaurs essentially were grey or green, kind of like crocodile colour or turtle colour, whatever you'd see as a reptile or a lizard, like a yeah. lizard today. They, it seems, were far more colourful than that. We know of one dinosaur from China that was black, white and red. We can tell this by analysing the, fe- the feathers. Others may well have had blues on them and greens, you know, but really iridescent like a parrot would be. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't have a full picture of this. We never will. But we know that these these feathers became very colourful. And it would stand to reason therefore that they were used by some dinosaurs for display we know that some dinosaurs for example have big crests of feathers on their head that serve no purpose for hunting or for survival but may be great at showing your fitness to a mate the way the birds do today and then it seems what happened over time some birds began to develop long feathers on their arms or some dinosaurs i should say developed long feathers on their arms and some of them may have given an, a, an advantage if they were suddenly to flap those and get caught in a breeze and would lift them off the ground or may have been able to go up to a tree and climb up using their claws and then glide down and again, over millions and millions of years, that developed into proper powered flight that we know most birds have today. And what I find amazing, too, is that some birds lost this. So the ancestors of the penguins, for example, were able to fly, uh, but they lost that to enable them to swim more efficiently under the water. And that's why these penguins, people say penguins can't fly. They can't fly through the air, but if you watch them swimming, they fly through the water. And it really is the exact same mechanism. If you think of, if you think of water as being very thick air, it all makes sense. Now, here's a question, Niall, which has just come into my mind uh, while you were talking there. Uh, and as a result, may not be uh, very well formed, but here goes. If birds branched off from, if let's call it the main trunk of, of, of reptiles, at different points, causing different lines of evolution, uh, and, there, and presumably also at different times, um, and given that we are still in the age of the reptiles, if not in the age of the dinosaurs, um, in the sense that uh, reptiles continue to exist and presumably also to evolve, are there any examples um, right now in the world around us of reptiles which are moving towards a bird-like state of evolution? Well, possibly so. It's always difficult to tell because we tend to think of evolution as something that happened in the past or happened long ago. It's happening all around us every day exactly. right now in a very slow time scale. So in one human lifetime, you would never you'd never observe this. But we are seeing, or, or how we do see, some reptiles that uh, have uh, begun to evolve the power of flight. There are some uh, reptiles, for example, that now have webbed skin along the sides of their bodies between their, their limbs that allow them to glide out of trees. There are even some snakes that have this kind of uh, webbed, uh, like, ribbing along the sides of their bodies they can glide from tree to tree yes it's not true flight but that seems to be exactly the way that the birds we know today their ancestors started it wouldn't have been true flight well, it wouldn't well, have been quite. so so in effect you just answered my question with, with a, a possible yes um that we we may be seeing uh albeit through a, a different route but we may still be seeing the evolution of um of reptiles into birds at the other end 
are we seeing any signs of evolution from birds into any further state? There must be examples, one would think, given that there is a huge variety of, um, of bird species and, and types and forms and morphs out there of birds e evolving in a further direction. Any thoughts on that? Yes, it really is very fascinating because birds uh, exist in a wider variety of habitats and ranges across the world than any other species, including temperature mm. range. You get them in the desert, you get them in the, at the polar regions, you get them everywhere, high mountains, in the oceans, everywhere. So birds have been a very successful group of, of animals. And we have seen, particularly on many islands, that birds have evolved in different ways. So again, the kiwis in New Zealand would be an excellent example of this. The kiwis yes. are a group of, of flightless birds. Their ancestors uh, would have been able to fly. Um, uh, kiwis, though, have, have evolved a long way from that. In fact, they don't even show any rudimentary rings. Even ostriches still have wings. Um, kiwis don't. Um, they have the, the attachments for them inside their bodies, but there's no sign of them on the outside at all. And they've also evolved as well to have their nostrils at the ends of their beaks. Rather, all of the birds mm. have them right in their face, just with the beak joins the face. But the kiwis have them the end of their, their nostrils. And they use those to, to snuffle around in the ground, finding earthworms and so on by, by smell. Most birds have a poor sense of smell. Kiwis have an amazing sense of smell. In many ways, what's happening is the kiwis um, are, are in the process of evolving almost into some sort of proto-rodent or some sort of other mammal. Um, their, their feathers have become hair-like. Uh, and of course, the reason this could happen on islands, on isolated islands like New Zealand, is because the birds could fly there but there weren't any land-based mammalian predators so that meant that the birds there didn't need to fly flight is a costly thing it's great if you're in an area full of predators or full of risks so you can move around or fly away from there or if you have to migrate to get your food um, but if you're in a place that's secure and there are no predators and all your food needs are met all year round flight and the, and the effort of growing feathers and all it's, it's, it's a waste of time having these big wings it could even be dangerous it could make you less manoeuvrable so uh, so what happened is they've evolved away from that we've seen that on many other many other islands we see lots of birds birds called rails for example related to the corncrake people might know the, the, the coot or the moorhen uh, the water hen in Ireland they're in the rail family well rails uh, ancestors of many modern rails on islands um, they arrived there by the power of flight but then they evolved away from that very quickly we look at the, the dodo on Mauritius, for example. It's another bird, a pigeon. Its ancestors would have flown there, but then it lost, they lost the power of flight. They didn't need it. However, of course, that had left them very vulnerable because when introduced predators were brought by man, such as rats and pigs and foxes and stoats, when they came to these islands, the birds had no defence against them and they were massacred. So we've lost so many of these. So it would have been fascinating to see what would have happened with evolution, but unfortunately, we humans have snuffed it out in so many cases. But yes, those those um, they, they were birds. They're still birds, biologically, um, but they were evolving to change our view of what a bird is um you know that, yeah, that's and of course that it, it's perfectly in the nature of um of evolution that it provides dead ends um that um you know you can go you can go a long way uh, down a, a road which ends in a, in, a, in a dead end as it turned out the, the 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 dodo did because your own evolution can't account for the evolution of other uh, creatures around you and, and, and the thing with evolution, of course, is through evolution through natural selection, uh, there's no thought behind this. There's no plan to it. It's all just down to random chance. It's all luck, whether you know, a mutation happens within a creature. If that happens to confer a survival benefit, it's more likely then that that animal will survive and will pass that mutation on to its offspring. And if that's an advantage to them, it'll become refined and honed. This takes millions of generations. Uh, but that's that's where all the living creatures we know today came from. That's where we came from. Uh, you know, We humans are the process of, of millions of years of 
evolution as well. And what, if we look around at all the different plants and animals and organisms on the earth today, they are all the end point of many, many branching trees of evolution. When I say the end point, it's the current end point. Of course, it could go on for, forever, for the, as long as the earth survives. We, you know, we, we humans tend to think that we are the be all and the end all. We're just one little blip in the evolutionary history of this planet. We won't be around forever. Actually, birds may be the most successful of the of the land-based uh, creatures. There's certainly an argument to be made for that, absolutely. Uh, birds indeed are very successful, and a lot of that comes down to the power of flight that most of them have, and that all of their ancestors would have had, that allowed them to move to new areas. So as, as conditions changed in the Earth, as they did over millions of years, climate would have changed, continents shifted, they came into contact with new predators, they were able to move and go into new areas. And no doubt many thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of bird species may become extinct, probably did. Um, but, you know, a number survived and were able to pass on their genes to the next generation and keep, you know, evolution going for those those species. So I think it's pretty interesting. We know that there are about 10 or 11,000 different species of bird on the Earth right now. Uh, the reason why I'm giving sort of a general figure is because scientists don't agree on sometimes on what forms a species and what doesn't. It's all this uh, this taxonomic, taxonomic debate goes on. We're talking roughly 11,000. Uh, and uh, and uh, they're, found, they're found on all continents, including in the heart of Antarctica. Um, it's really quite interesting to, to, to see that. And they have managed to colonise the oceans as well. So in that sense, they're, they're very um, very successful. Obviously, mammals are successful as well. We're mammals and we're, we're one of the most successful species on the planet uh, for the time being. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll be victims of our own success. Uh, but uh, we see mammals all, all over the planet as well. They, they do very well too. Um, we obviously see fish have been very successful. But of course, fish are quite limited in where they can go. Fish need water. And so it makes it much harder for them to colonize land their ancestors did but their ancestors became amphibians and reptiles and then mammals and birds so, so that you know they cease being fish uh, and this is the whole beauty of evolution i think that um when you look at the insect the, the insects were the first creatures to have the power of flight as far as we know the first animals to fly on this planet were dragonflies uh, they've been around for well over 200 maybe 300 million years uh, flying around they just to give, put that in context they evolved the power of flight before flowers before there were any flowers and um, so they didn't insects didn't pollinate then because there were no flowers it seems it was the fact that the insects existed that made it worthwhile for for, for, for plants to produce flowers so that insects would use them to pollinate or would be used to pollinate them uh, and i find that fascinating we know that f the power of flight has evolved in other groups as well so the insects evolved it uh, we know obviously the birds evolved it pterodactyls evolved it as well they're all extinct now but pterodactyls weren't dinosaurs they were a different group of reptiles and they developed the power of flight uh, so dinosaurs slash birds evolved it bats have evolved it the only mammals capable of true flight um, so it seems to be a, a very successful strategy, although a very energy heavy one. It takes you know it takes a lot of the right conditions. You need to have lots of um, you need to have have lots of uh, reliable food sources there to keep yourself going. You use lots of oxygen as well. We know that in the past, um, when when let's say during the heyday of dragonflies, uh, the the dragonflies there were much many of them were much bigger than they could be today because there was far more oxygen in the atmosphere, and so they could support a much bigger body size. Uh, but what I find remarkable is that those dragonflies have been around uh, dragonflies around for as i said for hundreds of millions of years essentially their body style has not changed at all you could look at that fossil from 200 million years ago and you know immediately that's a dragonfly it looks exactly the same today uh, you look at a fossil of a bird from that from from you know well, let's say 70 million years ago 80 million years ago look at a fossil of a bird you would say it's probably a bird but it looks quite different so i think insects have been perfected even longer than birds have Another another thought that uh, that branches off from that is uh, going back to the beginning of this conversation when you uh, mentioned that by many people's reckonings birds 
still are dinosaurs, it may yet be that um, mankind is outlived by the dinosaurs. An example that occurs to me of uh, ongoing evolution, and this would be more of a, a maybe a behavioural evolution than a than a physical evolution, would be the fact that um, with climate change, it it would appear migration or habits of migration are actually working against birds um depending on the species uh, to 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 some extent you, can you explain that yes so it is interesting and of course we are seeing a very rapid change in our planet right now uh, over the last 100 years uh, which in evolutionary terms is nothing it's less than the blink of an eye uh, th- that uh, we've seen we've seen a big change in in the climate of this planet due to industrialized behavior by humans uh, and this is definitely changing our weather patterns and it's making some birds that migrate more vulnerable and we are starting to see some species changing their patterns and perhaps not even bothering to migrate at all now of course Many of these things could only be properly identified uh, many years down the road with high the benefit of hindsight. But we are seeing some, to give a good example here in Ireland, look at the swallow. So every winter, Birdwatch Ireland receives reports of some swallows uh, that haven't bothered to migrate. Now, we're only talking maybe two or three individuals each year, although it does seem to be increasing slightly each year. Usually for places like Cork or Kerry, maybe Wexford, the slightly warmer counties being in the south. Uh, And uh, so that's really interesting because these are birds that have obviously somehow decided or perhaps have been selected for to not bother going undergoing the whole rigors of migration which carries great risks flying all the way to southern africa and back uh, each year well the fact is the majority of swallows don't make it most of them die if they didn't have to do that if they could stay in one place uh, that would make sense uh, maybe any bird that did that and could survive would have a big evolutionary advantage of course they can only do that if there's enough food and because swallows eat small flying insects that's very much tied to the weather. So they can only do that if it's warm enough. It seems it's paying off for some of those swallows to not bother migrating. And we're seeing a bigger effect of that in Iberia. So in Spain and Portugal now, there are hundreds or even thousands of swallows that aren't bothering to migrate to Africa. The majority still do, but some are staying behind. So that is quite interesting. And one of the most, I suppose, striking examples that I've seen even in the course of my own lifetime uh, is to do with a bird we get in our gardens called the black cap. The black cap is a, a really mm. lovely little member of the warbler family. It's, uh, how would I describe it to you? Well, it's sort of a, a sort of greyish beige body and the male has a little black skull cap on his head. The female has a rusty red cap on her head. Uh, and the male has a beautiful song, one of the stars of the dawn chorus, one of the prettiest bird songs that we have in Ireland. Now, if you look at any uh, field guide to the birds of Europe, let's say those produced in the, in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, it'll say that black caps are strictly uh, strictly summer visitors to Ireland and, and to most of Europe, and they spend the winter around the Mediterranean. North Africa, around that kind of area, down even some of go sub-Saharan. So, that's that's so every year now a lot of people have these these in their in the you know these books on their bookshelves and every year we get people who take part in our Irish Garden Bird Survey uh, very surprised to see that they have a black cap coming to their peanut feeder over the course of the winter and they said I looked in my field guide and it says that these are only summer visitors to Ireland so what's it doing here in the winter has it not bothered migrating. Actually, what's happened is something even more interesting than that. Our black caps are migrating, as they always have done. They're still heading down south towards the Mediterranean for the winter. What's happening is the black caps that we're now getting increasingly in our gardens, there's probably thousands and thousands spending the winter in Ireland now each year, from ringing studies, and we're able to work out that they actually come from Central Europe. So if the area of Europe, uh, let's say around parts parts of Germany, Poland, that kind of region. And what's happening is those birds are now, instead of heading south for the winter, they're migrating to Ireland and to Britain. Uh, and this would 
have happened because of a little uh, evolutionary quirk. Some mutation happened because we know that with black caps, their migration yeah. is controlled by genes. Yeah. They have no choice in what they do. They have genes that control the distance that they fly and the direction that they fly in. So after a certain a certain distance, they, they'll fly that distance and a little timer goes off in the head. It's like, okay, time to, I must be where I'm supposed to be. Time to stop now. And they just stop. They have no choice in the matter. And another gene seems to control the direction. What's happening with these black caps it seems, is that uh, a mutation maybe happened only with one, perhaps, where it was migrating the right distance, but in the wrong direction. Instead of heading south, it headed sort of northwest. Uh, and it brought it towards Ireland or Britain. Uh, now, as luck would have it, it's just a sh- fairly short distance migrant. If you look at another bird like a willow warbler or a swallow, birds which migrate um, thousands more kilometres than that, they would head much further. If they went in the wrong direction, and maybe this has happened, if they go in the wrong direction, their little timer will go off when they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And there's nowhere there for them to land and they will die. It just so happened that for those black caps, it was lucky enough that it brought them to Ireland or Britain where they found gardens with peanut feeders and they could survive. And not only could they survive, they could thrive because there was a reliable source of food there. It was abundant. It was infinite as far as they were concerned. And then they were able to migrate back to their breeding grounds in Central Europe and they were in better condition than the, the birds that had gone the right direction down to Africa. Um, so... That meant they were fitter for breeding. They were able to get the best territories. They were more successful at breeding, which meant they passed the gene on to the next generation. And this goes on for generations until all of a sudden the wrong gene and the wrong direction becomes the right gene and the right direction. And that's evolution. As it happens, Niall, um, I am one of those uh, people you mentioned uh, just now. I only get black caps in my garden in winter. Yes. They behave quite differently. In, in the summer, they, they shun most gardens. They tend to be a bird more of woodland. If you had a very leafy garden with lots of trees and understory, you, you might get blackcaps. But I think of it very much as a bird of woodland uh, in the summer. But in the winter, it's a bird of gardens. And it really is amazing to see this. And what happens is we have these two populations of blackcaps, uh, the summer ones and the winter ones, and neither seems to know the other exists. There's a window of a couple of weeks when we don't have any, and one then replaces the other. Uh, so it's really interesting. And of course, it's still very early days. That could be an evolutionary dead end if something happens with the climate, if, the, if people stop feeding birds in the garden that might stop but if this goes on for another few thousand years or tens of thousands of years that's how speciation happens all of a sudden something other quirk will happen some sort of random mutation happens these black caps so they no longer recognize each other they no longer can interbreed and that's how species evolve and if you think in the past what happened this was done by glaciers or was done by uh, by volcanic eruptions separating islands and all this kind of stuff and that's how evolution has happened and to, you know, so it's not something that happened millions of years ago just with dinosaurs it's happening around us right now Niall, that has been, as always, a fascinating conversation. And uh, as always, it's raised almost as many questions in my mind as it has provided answers. <laughs> but that's the, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the nature of these things. <laughs> Thanks very much, Niall. And uh, look, I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks very much. Really fascinating. And just to say, if, if anybody is interested in learning more about birds, um, please, please join BirdWatch Ireland. It makes that great gift for Christmas time as well. So if you go to birdwatchireland.ie, you can become a member there. You can sign someone up. And as a conservation charity, it helps us to make sure that, that those birds don't become extinct and that they are around to pass their genes on to future generations so that evolution can continue. <laughs>